Hello, my name is Gary Shotton, and I'm here as a part of Inspiring Better Business. And I'm in the middle of a series here of about at least 10 or 12 miracles that have happened in my life, financial miracles that have propelled me into the future. And I just want to share those in a way that's honoring God, not bringing attention to me, not elevating me by any means, but by encouraging you that God is a God of miracles. And sometimes we kind of get sucked into life and there's a lot of causes and a lot of good clubs and community organizations, and but none of those propel or suggest that there's miracles involved. It's usually hard work and dedication, and, and that's very good, but it's different with God. God wants to intervene in our life. God wants to be a part of our life, and that's why what I call a miracle. Now, some of these are going to sound like they're uh, a bit natural, but I know when you understand the fullness of it, there's several things that happened that there's just no way Gary could have made this happen. And I also want to share in this one particular that um, miracles uh, don't always, uh, when we thought we were on the way for a miracle and I thought I was hearing God in this direction, it didn't work out. It didn't work out at all. In fact, I lost money. You would like to think that every time God gets involved that I'm going to make tons of money. I'm going to really succeed. No, it's more important that we learn the lessons than to make the money. And so this one is one where I learned a lesson a hard way. And it's called, uh, how, do, how do I uh, create uh, the, the environment so that I don't grow too fast? I don't try to excel beyond my abilities. And in this case, I just was headlong into uh, growing really fast, thinking I was almost invincible. And that can happen to entrepreneurs. So I was um, in about the year 1993, 94, I was plugging along in my moving and storage business and I was uh, making, paying the bills. It wasn't going great, but it was going okay. And I had hired a, a couple about our age and they were running more of the business, more of the moving and storage aspect. And there's another whole story along that. But uh, I was uh, freed myself up to explore the investigation and purchase of many storages. I had a concept that uh, I could expand into many, many storages, many locations. I had a plan that was going to take me uh, literally, and I felt God led me to believe for 50 mini storages. Now, 50 mini storages would take a while to get to. Uh, they would all, not all be in one city, and it was hinged around, around the concept of I had uh, secured the name Move Mart, at least for my local Oklahoma uh, trademark. And Move Mart would mean I would do anything and everything connected with moving. I would had already been a writer. Uh, a truck rental dealer for Ryder Truck Rental. I had been for several years an agent for Atlas Van Lines where we moved full service moving services. I put those together and I had storage which called long-term storage and people would come and put their goods into secured storage and we take an inventory and make sure we're totally responsible for everything they give us. But there was this up-and-coming thing that was rel relatively new in the early 90s called mini storages. Believe it or not, 
the, when I went to the bank the first time and talked about mini storages, they looked at me and asked me to explain what that is. Now, if you're in America, you know what a mini storage is because they popped up all around. They're considered quite profitable. If you're in a foreign country, they maybe they're coming. It's where people have more junk, more stuff that they can handle in their car, in their house or their garage, and they start storing it in a third location. And they pay you monthly to do that. It's a great business. And so I was really into this. I had felt specifically that the, the Lord was leading me uh, and would support me in owning 50 of these. Seven mini storages in my current city, seven in seven other cities, that's 49, and, and, uh, and uh, then a fifth, 50th one would just be my home base. I don't care where the 50th one would be. And if I did that, I mean I would be a multi-millionaire now, I knew it would take 20 years to get there, and I'll be honest up front, I never owned a single mini-storage, even though I still have the best plan for a mini-storage you've ever seen, and I've never seen anybody do it. So, in the process of time, I had this on my mind, and I'm kind of exploring the thought of expanding into a second business and into multi-locations. Well, the fact of the matter, I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't financially prepared for that. I wasn't uh, staff-wise prepared for that. I was pushing ahead of God. And then on top of that, I'm just driving down the road, kind of thinking about this, and I feel a nudge from what I thought the Holy Spirit, and it said, turn left here down this main street and go down there. There's probably something you want to see. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was down, and sure enough, on this corner, a perfect corner for a mini-storage was five acres. And I pulled in, and there's a gentleman uh, mowing the grass. He was a quite older gentleman in an older tractor with a brush hog kind of uh, uh, mower on the behind of it, and uh, uh, had his old hat on. And I pulled in. I thought, well, he's probably hired by somebody to just mow the grass. Well, I pulled onto the ground, and he pulls over and stops and, and gets off his tractor. And I said, well, sir, would you know who owns this land? Because I'd be interested in uh, finding that owner so that I could maybe propose a plan for many storages. And he said, you know what? I own this land. I've owned it for 25 years. And I've thought about many storages myself. Let's talk. Are you kidding me? In less than 10 minutes, I have an idea and I'm talking to the guy. I'm just almost inside going, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Because I'm talking to the guy that has plenty of money. He owns the land outright. I found out later, 25 years ago, he'd traded just one RV, recreation vehicle, for all that land. So he didn't have any money into it. And he didn't found out later he had no children and no heirs to anything. And I, I'm not here trying to, to, to suck him into something. He's interested. So I'm pursuing this. Well, I went on down the track a little ways and, and uh, pursued the bank loan. Well, I don't have money for, for a huge mini storage. And I was going to do it in three phases. And see, the idea was I'd have Move Mart, anything you wanted to do with moving. It'd be like Pet Mart, Walmart, Drug Mart. In my case, it was anything to do with moving. And I knew what to do on the moving side. I just, and I already had the long-term storage. I just needed to fill in the little piece, the short-term mini storage. And so I'm, I'm approaching the bank and, and I make a proposal and, and they, they accepted my proposal. They gave me a letter of commitment. Now there's a lesson learned here. I had a letter of commitment from the bank and I proceeded to uh, invest monies in this land that I didn't own. I didn't have the money in the bank. I didn't own the land. 
and I proceeded to commit to $50,000 worth of things like the drawings for the mini storage. That's, <clears throat> that's pretty, all the drawings, that included the electrical, the quotes to get the mini storage, and, and all the soil samples, and the uh, design and engineering to get the electric over, the design and engineering <clears throat> to get the water to this property. It's a perfect spot, and I'm rolling strong. Big problem. My design uh, that I had in mind and was first told was $877,000. But when the bids came in, it was over a million dollars. Oh my goodness, now I didn't, didn't know it would be quite that much. And then the bank learned that I had no money into this. I was doing this project without a single dollar out of my pocket because the bank was looking to the landowner and the, so that land was worth 30% of the project and, and the bank was happy with somebody that they're only going to own loan 70% of the pro project, but they looked at little old Gary over here, and Gary was the driving force, but I didn't have a penny into the project, and they didn't like that. They wanted the person that was responsible to have some what we call sweat in the game. They wanted somebody to, to, to be responsible that's not going to walk off and, and give it back to them. So at the end of the process, over with tears in my eyes, with great difficulty, I had no financing. What was the problem? I had tried to expand too fast. My current business was not running like I thought it could, should run. It could have run better. God knew that the two people that were helping me in that business were going to embezzle from me and run off in the middle of the night with my money. That would leave me really over, over, over the top. And, and with no money into the project, the bank backed out. Now, I'm committed to $50,000. I've already signed contracts, and they've already done the work. I have now a big problem. And so in the process of time, the problem was I had expanded too fast. In fact, the same gentleman that had the land, he had other land. And we were out looking for not only the, se the second, the, the mini storage that he was going to do on that property, I was talking about a second one. Oh, I didn't tell you that where my main business was, I had already owned the land next to that, and I hadn't built a mini storage there. I should have just built the mini storage right beside my current operation and become comfortable with that one mini storage, not get ahead of myself, and, and, and not press on to too much, too fast, ahead of my game. Boy, we talk about the school of hard knocks being really, really good. But the tuition's pretty high. I paid $50,000 to learn this lesson. Oh my goodness. And I hope you'll learn it without the $50,000 because I'm, I'm telling you now, do not try to grow too fast without getting on stable ground. Stable, stable uh, um, uh, finances, things in order, and then grow on. There's a saying that goes like this. If you want to try to, uh, try to capture two rabbits and one at one time, and they'll both get away. That's factual. In my case, I was trying to capture 
two, three, four at one time. And of course, with 50 mini storages on my mind, I was already interviewing. And, and when I had a trip, I would go to the next town over, Oklahoma City, where I'd have seven mini storages there. I was going to go to Joplin, Missouri, have seven mini storages there. You see, I was already lining out my seven cities that I would have uh, uh, seven mini storages in each one of those cities. And then they would all have, have a hub where I would be the hub person with a long-term storage. This is going to work. Well, there's other parts to the story. Okay. I also know that that would have made me a very wealthy man. I had in my heart to be a very wealthy man, not because I wanted to be the richest. I wanted to give to the gospel. But, you know, that would have redirected me, and I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I would be trying to figure out how to dispense millions and hundreds and thousands of dollars to, to missions. And you think that would be perfect, wouldn't you? You'd think, that, oh man, that is exactly God's plan. I came to the conclusion that wasn't God's plan. I don't know that I'm supposed to gather all this money and then pass it out and give it away and because it can create extra conflict. Really what my calling is, and that's why I'm with you, is to help you start small, you grow, you establish your own finances, and in your churches in, around the world and definitely in developing nations, and, and where it's not somebody sending money from America, it's you uh, uh, having a very bright light shining, shining brightly to uh, your community because no one from the outside sent you money that you created, a number of you started changing the culture, the culture of your community, the culture of your church, the culture of, of, of your family, the way your family thinks. And you're thinking God is a God of more than enough. God is a God of prosperity in a good way that he'll make sure that you have all your needs met and more so that you give under the gospel. Now we have a grassroots effort. I had a proposal that I was asked to read just a couple days ago. It's 65 pages long. And it never gets around to helping the locals finance the funds. It gets around to having someone from a foreign land, a developed nation, that was going to accumulate all this money, buy all of this uh, uh, equipment, uh, hire all these people, and now impose this master plan on the locals. I'm telling you, I haven't seen that work. The way to do it is go out in what we call a ground roots effort and change the mindset of the people in these foreign lands that are thinking differently. They understand that they don't have to have money from America. They're looking at it and saying, God is my source and God will give me ideas. God will give me wisdom. God will give me miracles. A miracle does not have to be huge. A miracle is just the connection of the right person at the right time, and there's no way that you had a way of making that happen. That's happened to me many times. Well, I hope this is helpful to you. Yes, this is a miracle that with the miracle of this is it didn't work out. I'm glad it didn't work out because I would have rechanged my trajectory in business. My life would have been totally different if I had been a multi-multi-millionaire it sounds cool, I know. Wow, Gary, why would you say that? But I mean it. My life would be totally different as a multi-multi-millionaire trying to figure out how to be fair and distribute all this money that's coming to my hands, including to my children. Why would I try to set up my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, so they never have to work? 
That's a foolish idea. I've heard it said that people, Christians do that all the time. I'm going to set it up so my children don't have to work. Whoa, think that again. Well, let me tell you what happened later on in my current business. Uh, I own now a machine shop, and uh, it was about uh, the year 2011, and it had been shortly after a very, very low economic uh, uh, state of uh, 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 condition that we're in in the year 2009, and, and after that low spot, we were uh, ramping back up in a very positive way, and our customers were very happy with us, and they were expecting us to keep up with their demand. Well, the way it happened is, uh, at one point, the main contact in my biggest customer called me into his office. He said, Gary, you need to come into the office. we got to talk. Oh, my goodness, I'm thinking that we're in trouble. Maybe we did something wrong. I sat in across from his desk, and we talked, and he said, Gary, you've got to come up with a way to give us more capacity. You have, you're doing us a good job, and we want more of you, because we have too many jobs that we need your uh, component parts to come in here, and what are you going to do? You write me a plan, get with it. Okay, well, we can do that. So I went back in a couple days, wrote a plan where I committed to building another 12,000 square feet of building, and I committed to hiring six more machinists, and I committed to buy two new, very expensive machines that are used for making their parts. Now this took four to six months to do, but I had a time frame and I showed him I'm ready to meet your demands because you're very important to me as, I, as, as a customer. See, I'm the only salesperson with my business and the only thing I need to do is listen to my customers and when I hear what they need, I do it. And so I expanded, but you see the difference there? I'm being pushed into growing. That's what you want to look for. Don't try to push too hard. You've got to be ready. You've got to make plans. But wait for that point that you're being pushed kind of into the next step. Let's say you have a restaurant and, and you're uh, open certain hours and you only have so many tables and you only serve so many people. And you have now a line of people waiting, waiting to get in, turning, turning away customers. And they're saying to you, Gary, you're always busy. I wish you would have more capacity. And then you see that, oh, your next spot over where you're leasing your kitchen is for rent. You say, okay, I can take on that next capacity with my current cooks and with everything I can do. I can up that a bit. But now I have more seating space. Oh, you're pushed in to the next level. That's the kind of thing you want. You want to be pushed in to expanding if at all possible. You still got to have that drive, but don't push yourself too fast. Well, I'm giving my opinion pretty strong here, and I hope you can understand that I'm here to help you. Thanks for being a part of Inspiring Better Business.